2: Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is the state planning attorney, Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your State Radio. And it's kind of a solemn day, I think. Uh, I'm sure many of you out there are feeling a, a sense of dismay at what's going on in Eastern Europe right now with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And uh, the images that are coming out of there and uh, what what we as the United States and the rest of the civilized world, because I do not include Russia in that description anymore, uh, maybe the Russian people, but certainly not the Russian leadership. Um, how we're going to respond to this, I don't know. These are very tense, trying times but I'm moving forward with my show today following my usual format. If anyone would like to call in and ask a question about estate planning on the air, the number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. And I would ask everyone out there in my listening audience and tell your family and friends and co-workers, please pray for the people of Ukraine as they're being put through this devastation that has come to their country from an enemy that appears to uh, have no consideration whatsoever for, our, for international law, for previous agreements, for uh, decency, I'll say it. For decency, please pray for the people of Ukraine. Pray that they're able to resist the invader, and also pray for the young Russian soldiers who may not even know what they're doing or being asked to do, and and also pray for the people of Russia that they might look at this and have their mood change and maybe they will decide they need to get rid of this mad dictator that's running their country and has dragged them into a war I'm sure that they didn't want, don't think is necessary, but just appears to be to satisfy his own ego. I try not to get political on this show. If you've been listening a long time, you know that's the case. This time I'm going to be right out there. And uh, and I condemn the actions of Putin and his military. Um, I hope that people, others in power in Russia, may come to realize that they need to get rid of this man as the leader of their country because he is leading his country to a place where they may end up being completely, utterly devastated by the response of the Western nations to this aggression. I think we need to resist him the way that um, Hitler was resisted by the West. I think that is a moral imperative. It is a frightening imperative, but I think it has to happen. It just has to be done. He cannot be permitted. To get away. With what he's doing right now. Because if he's not stopped. What will stop him. From continuing on this path. And invading. Other smaller. Less powerful countries. And taking them. Into and making them part of Russia. Or satellites of Russia. So. So. Pray for the Ukrainians, pray for their their government, pray for their president that he is not captured or killed in all of this and that they're able to resist and successfully resist. Pray that they will make it so expensive for the Russians that they will stop and they'll pull out because the cost has become too high. Pray that the Russian people will realize what's going on and will rise up And say no more. It has to stop. It has to stop. So I'm going to start my show today. Um, Very few things in, in life actually affect me as deeply as what's going on in Ukraine right now. And I wanted to share that all with you out there. I know many of you probably agree with you. There's probably some of you that don't agree with me. That's fine. One of the benefits of living here in the United States of America, what I consider to be the greatest country in the world and probably in the history of the world, and I can say that as an emigrant to this country and naturalized U.S. citizen, I wouldn't have it any other way. I think history will look back at this time And we'll judge how did we respond as a nation? How did the world respond to this aggression? And what needs to be done to make it stop? So let me go to my usual format today. It's kind of difficult to do because of how I'm feeling right now. But as they say in the theater, the show must go on. Okay, here's a question out of Visalia, California. It says, can I be thrown out of property without eviction if my mother changed the family trust my dad had done, changed it to benefit her so that beneficiaries don't have rights in the house? Uh, I live in the back room of the house, and now she's telling me I have no rights and she's going to have police get me out. Doesn't she have to evict me? Well, yeah, she'd have to evict you if you're, if you're actually living there. But I would question how everything was changed, uh, especially if things were changed uh, to remove you as a beneficiary of your father's trust. I would look into that. That's basically what I would look into. Okay. So here is uh, one out of El Cerrito, California. A relative died. I had power of attorney, and I'm the successor trustee of the living trust. She had four children living in different states. One of the kids has an older living trust. A new trust was made three months ago with major changes. This other child has ordered everyone to move out of the house because it's theirs. He plans on selling the house immediately. He's supposed to arrive tomorrow. Does the second trust negate the first one? Well, if the second trust says that it owns this property, this house that's being lived in, then, then the second trust does negate the first one. It says, can they evict um, her partner of over 10 years out of the house? Um, this child will not give a copy of the trust to anyone because I believe I might be the co-trustee on that one. Uh, I would say here, if there's in fact a new trust that refers to the property as being owned by that trust, then the old trust has been superseded and would be able to be overcome by the new trust. Whoever this person is, needs to consult with legal counsel immediately and move to quickly take action to take over that property as the trustee of the new trust. We're coming up on the first break of the show today. When we come back, I will continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio, and I'll continue after the break.
1: This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW.
2: Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue with more Plan Your State Radio questions and comments from around the state of California. And this is one out of San Francisco, California, actually from today. Husband has terminal illness, Husband and wife have gone over all financial information, making sure wife is a beneficiary on all accounts or that the accounts are held jointly between them. They also have a house with a mortgage where the deed and the mortgage is in both husband's and wife's names. Would the husband's mother be able to successfully claim any of these assets? Husband is currently mentally capable of making decisions there is mo- most likely no time to prepare a will. Well, I'll tell you, um, if the wife is named as the beneficiary or accounts are held jointly, husband's mother has no dog in the fight. I mean, uh, everything would go to the wife when the husband passes away because the property is either jointly owned, as it indicated, or else Uh, the property is, um, or else the property, excuse me, or else the property is, uh, is named as uh, having the wife as the beneficiary. So there would literally be no purpose whatsoever or no reason whatsoever for, for this property to be going to the husband's mother. Okay, Uh, next question here. So I flip through my notes here. Okay. Okay, here out of San Diego. Only the condo I live in is titled in the ownership of my living trust. Should any brokerage account be titled to my living trust as well? And then the person goes on to say, uh, the brokerage accounts show beneficiaries, but are not in the name of the trust. Should they? My advice to people is to have things like brokerage accounts, bank accounts, things like that be owned by your trust or payable to your trust so that if you become incapacitated, Uh, your successor trustee can actually handle those assets. And on your death, the trust, as an entity that cannot die, would be able to receive those assets. In the trust itself, if you wish to distribute specific assets that you own to specific people, you can say, uh, my Charles Schwab brokerage account ending in 5529, Goes to my son John. I recommend that because if you name beneficiaries on accounts, you always run the risk that one or more beneficiaries may predecease you, or if they all predecease you, then that account has no beneficiary on it and it would have to be passing through your probate estate in some way, either a full blown probate. Using, hopefully, the will that you have prepared to support your trust or, um, or else being taken over with a court petition to get that asset into your trust, provided there's sufficient written evidence that you intended that to be part of your trust. Um, so I generally advise people, if you're going to go to the trouble of setting up a trust, which I advise most people to do if they have significant assets, then you should make sure that things are either owned by your trust or paid to your trust. Now, it could be a completely different situation if we're talking about a retirement plan. Uh, But I recommend that for life insurance, that life insurance be paid to your trust. Uh, That's because the trust cannot die. And uh, as an aside there also, if it's paid to a surviving spouse directly... What will often happen is the insurance company, uh, especially a large one that has a bank that they own now, they'll actually create a checking account and send a checkbook to the surviving spouse and say, here, you can write use this to write checks to pay off mortgages, bills, things like that. And it's like, oh, that's so convenient. But the problem is now the rest of the proceeds of that life insurance are in the name of the surviving spouse in a checking account, not in the name of the trust that that person had, or that they had with their spouse that died. And then if the surviving spouse dies, you might have a checking account with hundreds of thousands of dollars in it. That's not in the trust and should have been in the trust. And now we have to do some kind of court action to take over that account. This is why I recommend that life insurance that you own, unless it's going to a specific person because you had a legal obligation to name them, then instead you have the proceeds payable to your trust. And then if you want those proceeds to go a specific direction, you indicate in the trust. Proceeds from this life insurance policy are divided three ways between my children, or they go 50%, 50%. To the siblings of the husband, 50% to the siblings of the wife, whatever it happens to be. That's generally what I recommend people consider. Uh, Because with a trust, you could do detailed planning. You can plan for contingencies. Contingencies being if someone has died died that you want to leave property to, you can provide for where their share of that inheritance goes. That's why I do living trust planning as the primary form of estate planning that I do as an estate planning attorney. Okay, uh, can someone transfer real estate property into their name six years after the owner died? My father died in 2005 and he was the sole owner of the real estate. Six years later, my sister transferred ownership to our mother, then had it transferred a few days later to the living trust of our mother, Naming herself, my sister, as trustee. Then my mother died. My mother did not read or write her entire life, mental disability. I believe she did not comprehend what she was signing. Can I contest the living trust and ownership of property? Just found out about the transfer of ownership, which basically has my sister as the owner. Am I correct? There's a lot of things to unpack here. Um, If the sister transferred ownership to the mother... That had to have been by doing paperwork uh, indicating that she now was the, um, uh, she received it in some way, probably through a probate. And then she would have had to have some kind of authority from the mother uh, to transfer to uh, the mother's living trust. Um, But here there's a suggestion the mother had no ability to set up a trust or anything like that and that would be concerning to me. It may be that the whole transaction was inappropriate and was not really authorized in some way. There's not enough information to be for sure. We're coming up on the mid-show break of our show today on Plan Your Estate Radio. This is estate planning attorney Bob Brigman, and I'll see you on the other side of the break. And now for some brief commercial messages.
1: Now back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.
2: Hi, welcome back to the second half of the show. I'm gonna continue with more <clears throat> excuse me, more questions and comments from around California. Here's one out of Stockton, California. My husband passed away. The home was in his name only. Do I get to keep the home due to being here in California? He didn't have a will or a trust. Uh, Can his children take over the home? Also, eh, am I eligible for Social Security if we've been married for nine years? Well, let's unpack that. If the husband and wife have been married for nine years and the home was in his name alone, the implication is that he owned the home before the marriage. If he died and had no will, no trust, and the house is considered to be his separate property, separate from the marriage, which it may very well be, then that would mean that his wife would inherit from him um, a share of that house under the laws of intestate succession. Intestate meaning you have no will, no last will in testament, hence in or not testate. Testate means you have a will. And uh, the reference to his children, plural, means at least two children. And if there's two or more children, the wife would get one-third of the house, And his children would split the other two-thirds interest in the house. Just to clarify, if it's separate property and there's a spouse and one child, then it's a 50-50 split. 50% for the spouse, 50% for the child. And by the way, that applies even if the child is the child of the surviving spouse. Um... Uh, So the child or children do not have to be um, just the children of the spouse that died. It could be the child of both of the parties. Um, So just to clarify that. So it sounds like saying his children suggests that the children are the stepchildren of the surviving wife. And in the absence of any estate plan by the husband... If in fact it's his separate property and there's not evidence that it had become community property at some point, then that would mean it would be divided one third to the wife, two thirds to the children as a group. It doesn't matter how many children uh, for the two thirds, as long as it's at least two or two or more children. That's what we're talking about there. Okay. From Eureka, California, someone asked the question, I'm an aging parent of an adult disabled child. What is the best way to give monthly payments once I die? I don't want to give all the property because of the child's disability. I heard about a trust fund. Is it good or any better option to set monthly payments? It sounds like what this person needs to do is establish a Supplemental Needs Trust for the Disabled Child. That could be funded now, or it could be funded by the person's property after they have died. Um, I would suggest setting up a trust, putting your property into the trust, and either providing it then goes to your disabled child in trust as a Supplemental Needs Trust, or a separate Supplemental Needs Trust that becomes the beneficiary of the trust set up by the parent. Then there can be a trustee that can use the funds in the trust to take care of this disabled child. I don't know if making monthly payments to the disabled child is necessarily the best way to do that. I would lean towards giving the trustee the discretion to use the funds As needed, um, as needed for the needs of that disabled child that exceed whatever assistance they may be receiving from the government. That's why it's called a supplemental needs trust. It's not intended to be the primary source of property for the trust, or excuse me, for the beneficiary. It's intended to be. Uh, to supplement whatever assistance that beneficiary might actually be receiving from the uh, from the uh, from the the government, uh, government for a disabled person may be providing things like sSI, supplemental security income, which is needs based, meaning you you have to basically have little or no assets to receive that. Uh, Here in California, health insurance would be provided by Medi-Cal, which is the Medicaid program uh, called Medi-Cal here in California. Cute, huh? Medi-Cal. Of course, it looks like it's spelled exactly like medical, only with a hyphen between Medi and Cal. As you can imagine, that's confusing. Uh, People often confuse Medi-Cal with Medicare because, uh, after all, it's medi with a C, Medicare, Medicare, it's very easy to confuse the two. They are completely different programs and they really don't have a relationship to each other. But um, that is what I would recommend to someone like this. And I do set those types of plans up for families. Um, if if you're interested, I actually have a uh, a handout that I give out at my workshops that is basically 10... Uh, 10 mistakes that people make when planning for their special needs child. And uh, if you're interested in uh, a copy of something uh, of that handout, email me at radio at lawbob.com, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, and I'll uh, send a copy out to you. If too many people email me, then I'll probably turn around and... Uh, Post it on my website at lawbob.com so it can be easily just downloaded from there. Okay, out of Dublin, California, over in the East Bay, East San Francisco Bay. I like Dublin. I I go there now and then to the half price books there. No, I'm not getting paid by them. I just like the bookstore. I love used bookstores. I take my kids there sometimes. Uh, They love the stores too. One of my daughters loves going through the records that are there. She's become the record person. Uh, She's in eighth grade, but she loves records. She actually has a turntable to play records on. I'm going, that's so old school. I love it. That's what I grew up with uh, before eight tracks and cassettes and CDs and things like that. So it's kind of neat to see one of my daughters kind of getting into vinyl again. Um, So out of Dublin, uh, can a husband will to his children half of his personal residence owned with his wife in California? <clears throat> the house is in California in a joint living trust, but the trust is revoked only on paper and notarized, and the assets are still in the trust. The residents of California and still married, Husband makes a will, says his half of the residence should go to his children upon his death. Okay, well, if the trust has been revoked, then that means that anything owned by the trust that was transferred into the ownership of the trust is revoked as well. It typically means that it's returned to the form of ownership that it enjoyed before the trust was established. And you'd need to really dig down in here and ask the question, um, is it now just community property? If it's just community property, the husband can leave his half of the property in a will to his children on his death. Action should probably be taken to, uh, to it sounds like there's a divorce starting to happen here. Um, the revocation of the trust, especially if the, that revocation was delivered to the other spouse, indicating the trust is no more. That should actually act to uh, to enable the the uh, half of the property to be left. But it's the kind of thing that really should be sorted out in the dissolution of the marry of the marriage rather, um, because otherwise um, there could be a big fight over just what was intended. And what we're trying to do in estate planning whenever possible is avoid fights. Okay, my husband and I own a 50% share of a house in California with my parents as tenants in common. They own the other 50%. Since they're in their 90s, we want to protect our 50% from probate when they passed away. They live in the house and it's not our primary residence. Would adding our 50% interest into our existing revocable living trust be the best way to avoid probate? Yes, absolutely. If so, do we need to record a new grant deed on our 50% from the two of us to the two of us, um, as, okay. And then they say as joint tenants with right of survivorship. All right. that, that, has nothing to do with tenancy in common. Tenants in common is a completely form of ownership. Um, They should transfer their 50% interest into their trust. And the parents of this person should put their half interest in a trust as well so that it doesn't have to go through probate when the survivor of the parents passes away. That would be my recommendation right there. (coughs) Excuse me. A little bit of a cough right now. Don't worry. Not infected, no COVID, just um, the, the cold weather does this to me sometimes. All right, we're coming up on the third break of our show today. When I come back, I'll take her home with the final segment of Plan Your State Radio here on KDOW 1220 AM. This is your host, Attorney Bob Bergman, and I'll finish up the show in a few more minutes.
1: Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning, trust, and probate law specialist, Attorney Bob Bergman.
2: Well, I'm back. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. I'm going to finish up the show today with a handful more of questions and comments from California. And here's one that actually um, dovetails right into the move right now to repeal... The second half of Proposition 19, the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. Uh, you can look them up on the internet. It's uh, HJTA. dot org. I think. dot org. Maybe dot com, but I think it's dot org. Uh, they are floating an initiative to put a proposition on the November ballot to repeal the half of Proposition 19 that seriously impacts families that have a home they want to pass on to their children or rental properties they want to pass on to their children. So um, this situation that's presented that I'm about to present actually ties right into that issue. Out of Stockton, California, a person says, I'm retired and currently residing in my father's rental property while I restore it. Pursuant to his trust, I will inherit the house when he dies. However, because I'm using my money to restore the house, he wants to gift it to me now. My greatest concern regarding this gift is the matter of property taxes. Will I pay higher property taxes because this is not his primary residence? Yes. If he gifts it to you now, with Proposition 19 in effect, the property taxes will be reassessed to the current market value of the property. Will there be other taxes related to the gift? Possibly. The other taxes would be income taxes. If you were to sell the property later on, you would have your father's cost basis in the property, meaning what his income tax value was, probably what it was when he purchased it, And uh, you would be able to probably keep uh, a quarter million dollars, maybe half a million dollars if you were married and your spouse is on the title as well, over and above that value from income tax. Uh, That's provided you have lived in the property for at least two of the previous five years. So you'd have to live there for at least two years before doing something like that. And if you sold, you may end up with an income tax consequence. So the second question is, should he just allow me to inherit the house when he dies to avoid certain tax issues? Well, one thing you'd avoid is the income tax step up in cost basis issue. It would be revalued to the market value at that time, but also the property taxes would go up to the market value. The assessed value would be the market value at the time your father died. So it says, even if I were assessed at a higher rate, it would be nominal considering the current value of the property. I guess the property was purchased recently. Um, It's really hard to know what the current value of the property is unless you've had it appraised. Um, Then it says, my brother would inherit my father's other home, presumably the one that the father lives in. The brother would get a definite Uh, property tax benefit inheriting the father's residence, because that's another part of Proposition 19. That would enable um, the brother to inherit and not have the property taxes change at all, as long as the current value of the property is less than or equal to the appraised value plus one million dollars. And uh given that we're talking Stockton, that's probably the case. I don't know that there's many uh highly valued properties uh, in terms of market value properties in the stockton area um but the but the other the other property uh would get no such benefit uh it would be one hundred percent reassessed with the property taxes. So if you don't think that that's a good idea for a family then go to the Howard Jarbers Taxpayers Association. Click on the flashing red button at the top of the page, and you can actually have them send you petitions, materials, handout materials. Uh, you can get the petition and you can take it around. You can sign it. Your spouse can sign it. Your brothers and sisters and parents and neighbors and coworkers and people outside of Best Buy and Walmart and Target, they can sign it. Uh, Ask for as many as you want. They will send them directly to you so that you can actually follow through. They need to collect about a million and a half signatures of registered voters in proper counties, meaning people who signed one of those petitions in the county where they live and they're registered to vote. And um, they need about one and a half million so they can be sure that they have a million signatures that are valid because those are always checked. And sometimes a lot of them are thrown out because they're not uh, they're not valid. But that is certainly something that you could do. So we're coming up on the end of the show today. I will tell you, if you would like to book a consultation with me to talk about your estate planning needs, go to lawbob.com, click on the button to book a call. The call could be on the telephone, by a Zoom meeting, or in person in my office. All of them are acceptable to me. I hope you've enjoyed the show today, and I will say one more time, please pray for Ukraine. Pray that some of this insanity comes to an end. pray that the leader of Russia recovers from this madness that he has started on the people and country of Ukraine. Until next week, this is Attorney Bob Bergman. Have a great weekend.
1: You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman.